0: Welcome to Practical Christian Living.
1: Jesus himself said, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. The only sin that will not be forgiven is the one you will not confess. And see, the person who's committed the unforgivable sin can't come back to repentance, so they're not going to confess it. The only sin you cannot be forgiven of is the sin you will not confess.
0: The enemy often tries to convince us that the sin we've committed in our lives is just too terrible, too dirty to ever be forgiven. That's a lie. First John 1.9 tells us if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. A different version reads all unrighteousness. Today, we're in Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 through 37, learning the freeing truth on what God's Word has to say about the unforgivable sin. Here's Robert Furrow.
1: Father, thank you so much for your Word. It really is rich and deep and powerful. When we think about the Septuagint being written in 135 B.C., when we think about the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found portions of the Old Testament 150 years BC some even older when we think about the silver scroll that was found of the Old Testament 700 BC when we think about the New Testament manuscripts and the quoting of the early church fathers in the very early days we are thankful for the confidence that we can have that what we are studying today happened that we have the manuscript evidence that has been able to reconstruct these things with great confidence. And we pray now, as we receive your word, like the lepers you told to go show themselves to the priest, and as they left, you healed them. When you give your word to us, you move as we obey it. We pray that we would be obedient to what we hear, that you would move in your word. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Today we're going to talk about an often asked question, which is, what is the unforgivable sin? You may have heard of this. Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 12, which is where you have your Bibles open to, where he said, any sin and blasphemy against the Son of Man can be forgiven. That's a pretty broad statement, by the way. Any sin, any blasphemy against Jesus can be forgiven. But the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven. So we need to know what that is. Because we want to make sure we didn't commit it. And I find that there are people who didn't commit it who are afraid that they did. And I find that there are people who may be on the verge of committing it that don't know that they are on the verge of committing it. So we want to clarify that today. Not only does the Bible tell us Jesus speaking of the unforgivable sin in Matthew chapter 12, but in 1 John 5, 16, we're told if anybody is in sin then pray for them. That's a great command. Do, do you know someone who's living in sin? Do you know someone who's walked away from the Lord or someone who's a Christian that's just allowed sin into their lives? Then pray for them. That's what it says, pray for them. But then he says, but not if they committed the sin that is unto death. If they committed the sin unto death, I'm not telling you to pray for them. But if they haven't, then you can pray for them. Well, that's a weird verse. Am I right? Committed to sin unto death. And then just to move on? It's like, wait a minute, I got questions. What is the sin unto death? Is it Christians who Jesus have committed such a severe sin that God says, you know what? I'm killing you. That happened, by the way, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says that the Corinthian church was going in to take communion. Some of them were, were moving to the front of the line and eating all of the food and drinking all of the wine and getting drunk in church taking communion, can you imagine? They were getting drunk, they were partying while taking communion. And Paul says, and for this reason some of you have gotten sick and some of you have died. We could say that they committed a sin that was unto death because they were partying during communion. Big takeaway, don't party during communion. (laughs) Take it in a worthy manner, right? That's what the Bible says. Examine yourself and take it in a worthy manner. So, is it that or is it the unforgivable sin? Was he saying the sin unto death is a person that has crossed a line and they cannot come back? They've gone too far and they cannot be saved no matter what now. Which is what Hebrews 6 4 through 6 tells us. That there's this person that has all this information. They're very unique. They've tasted of heavenly gifts, they understand certain things. It gives a whole list there of things that this person has done, and then they have walked away. And it is impossible to renew them to repentance. It doesn't say it's impossible to renew them to faith. It's impossible to renew them to repentance. In other words, God grants repentance and God is not granting them repentance. They will not repent. When I have someone who comes to me and says, I'm afraid I've committed the unforgivable sin. The first thing that I ask them is, do you want to repent? And when they say yes, I say you haven't committed it because it's impossible to bring you to repentance. And if you want to repent now, you haven't committed it. That's the first check mark you should go through. If today you think you've done some awful, horrible, hideous sin and God said, that's it, you're done. You can't be saved. Then you got to ask yourself, do I want to come back? If you say yes, then you haven't. If you say no, I don't want to come back. Well, maybe you did. Maybe you don't like that, but that's the truth. You go, no, I don't want to repent. I don't want to come back. Well, then maybe you committed the unforgivable sin. Well, well, it's not fair. Well, then repent. Well, I don't want to. Well, I don't know what to tell you. All we can do is look at what we see in the pages of Scripture. Let me give you a definition. This definition holds no authority, okay? This is my own personal definition. But here's my definition of the unforgivable sin. A sin committed that closes the door of grace for salvation on an individual. A sin that is committed that closes the door of grace on an individual. Let's take a look at what the unforgivable sin is not before we take a look at what it is. First of all, it is not some severe, awful sin of the flesh. There are horrible, ugly, dark, awful sins that people commit. Sins that The Bible says we as Christians are not to even talk about. We're not to even have a conversation about them. They're so hideous and they're so awful. And our imaginations could go to a lot of different places. But Jesus himself said every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. The only sin that will not be forgiven is the one you will not confess. And see, the person who's committed the unforgivable sin can't come back to repentance, so they're not going to confess it. The only sin you cannot be forgiven of is the sin you will not confess. So if you have committed some horrible, awful sin, people will say to me, I, I can't give my life to Christ. You don't know what I've done. And I always tell them, I don't want to know. Please don't tell me. I don't want to know. The, the sin of hurting a child. Jesus said, if you want to hurt one of these little ones, it would be better for you if a millstone were tied around your neck and you were to be thrown into the sea. Sometimes people read that and they think, well, that's what's going to happen to me. If I hurt a child, then a millstone's going to be tied around my neck. And I'm, but that's not what Jesus said. He said, it would be better for you if you would kill yourself right now. That's heavy, isn't it? I mean, think about it. Jesus said it would be better for you to commit suicide by tying a millstone around your neck and throwing yourself in the water than hurting one of these children. That is a severe sin, but forgivable. Serial killers often give their lives to Christ after they're caught. Ted Bundy, it said that he made a profession of faith. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, it said that he had a profession of faith. Now, if you were God, I'm really glad you're not, but if you were you would go that's the unforgivable sin for sure. Eating cannibalism is the unforgivable sin. You, you can't be forgiven. Once you cross that line, that's the line. You and I would we would do that. We would go Hitler out 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 could never be saved. He crossed the line somewhere. But Hitler does not fall into the qualifications of the unforgivable sin. We'll, we'll talk about what they are in a moment, but he could have been forgiven had he repented, killing not only some six million Jews, maybe a few more, but also millions of other people as well. But the ultimate serial killer, there's been other people, by the way, in communism who've killed more. Maybe, anyway. Number two, it is not resisting or grieving the Holy Spirit. This is what people say. Well, The unforgivable sin is when you resist the Holy Spirit and you can't be forgiven once you do that or or grieving the Holy Spirit. You can't be forgiven once you do that. That's not that. Now, I understand if you resist, 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 resist and die, that is unforgivable. You committed a unforgivable sin. That's not the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. In a way it is, I guess, but you ran out of time. You resisted until you died. But if you've resisted and are still alive, then that is not the unforgivable sin. If you've grieved the Spirit and you're still alive, that is not the unforgivable sin. Backsliding, becoming an apostate, becoming an atheist, becoming an enemy of the cross is not the unforgivable sin. There have been men who have walked with Christ, used by God in powerful ways, walked away, became an enemy of the cross, and then came back. Jesus goes and gets them. He leaves the 99 and he goes after that person. That is not the unforgivable sin not saying something about the Holy Spirit. I've had people come to me and say, listen, I I don't know why it happens, but I'm laying in bed and I just start to cuss out the Holy Spirit. And I know I can't be saved now because that's the unforgivable sin. Well, you need to read it a little closer. We're going to see this in a moment, but Jesus says, if anybody speaks a word, the word in Greek is logos, if anybody speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But if anybody speaks against the Holy Spirit, see, it's different. He doesn't say if anybody speaks a word against the Son of Man, it'll be forgiven. And if anybody speaks a word against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. He doesn't say that. He says, if you speak a word against the Son of Man, it'll be forgiven you. But if you speak against the Holy Spirit, so this against is more than a word. It's something more than just speaking one time, but you're speaking against the Holy Spirit, okay? There's a difference between them. So if you, in some fit of, I don't know, maybe even demonic influence, have cursed the Holy Spirit, it's still forgivable. The only sin that you can't be forgiven is the one that you will not confess. Let's take a moment and talk about the setting here in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus, in the end of 11, gave the greatest invitation I think he ever gave. It's, it's Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Let me read it to you. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He had given this great invitation. Crowds are following him. And he says to this huge crowd, My burdens are light and easy. Come to me and find rest. Many of them are considering this. And then Jesus does these miracles. He heals the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath day. And then we come to Matthew 12, verse 22. And here's what we read. This is the setting for when Jesus warned them that they could commit the sin of blasphemy of the Spirit. He doesn't tell them they did it. He warns them that they might do it. That it's possible to do it. Okay? Matthew 12, 22. Then one was brought to him. Jesus, by the way, earlier this has been healing crowds. People have just come in and he's just been healing blind people and deaf people and lame people. He's just, uh, uh, lepers, he's just been healing people. And now they bring him one who is demon-possessed. And he's blind and he's mute. And that's all we know about him. He's blind, he can't talk, and he's demon-possessed. Is he blind and can't talk because he's demon-possessed? We don't know. If he was not demon possessed, could he see and talk? We don't know. Satan's pretty much a creep and he'll take advantage of anybody he can. And maybe this demon entered into this man who was already blind and mute. We just don't know. We don't have enough to know. So I've heard people say, well, we know that Satan can blind people and cause people to become mute. Well, we don't know that. You're taking a leap there. It might be a justified leap. I don't know. But nevertheless, it's a leap. All we know is this guy's blind and mute and it says Jesus healed him. That's the next verse. And he healed him. He healed him of his blindness. The blindness was taken away. And the blind and the mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitude was amazed. This is an amazing miracle. They knew this man was blind. They knew he was mute. They knew he was possessed. They knew he acted weird. And now he's in his sound mind. Now he's healed. Now he can see. Now he can talk. And they're amazed. And the multitudes were amazed and said... Could this be the Son of David? This is key to our text. Could this be the Son of David? Who is the Son of David? Messiah. Yeah, that's who the Son of David is. That's the Messiah. That's a reference. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Son of David? They are now, these signs are there so that they will recognize Jesus as the Messiah. They are now recognizing Jesus as the Messiah and the crowd is at the verge of receiving him as their Messiah. Now, when the Pharisees heard it, they heard the people say, saying, could this be the son of David? They said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. The Canaanites, the Syrians, the Hittites, all worshiped Baals. Baals were the general word for gods that they had. It was like the Roman word for gods. It was the plural. Israel worshiped God. We worship God. They worshiped Baals. There was Baal Marduk. There was Baal Molech. There was Baal Zebub. Baal Zebub is called the Lord of the Flies. Quite literally, it is the Lord of Putrefaction. Who's going to worship the God of, of Putrefaction? And there's flies everywhere. It's crazy. But he's not the ruler of demons. Notice they say the ruler of demons. But when you go back and study the Assyrian god Beelzebub, he's not their chief god. There's other gods that are considered higher than him. So they take Beelzebub and they, they, they're making an insult to Jesus. You're casting out demons by putrefication. The ruler of demons. So they're renaming Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub. This is an Assyrian god that they are now saying is the ruler of demons who is Lucifer. So they've renamed him and they're saying that Jesus is possessed by Lucifer. And they're making an insult by using Beelzebub that Jesus is full of putrefaction. Point they're making. It's pretty strong. But Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to them, can I be, I want to just be, I'm just going to say it. Here's what Jesus could have said to these guys. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You're telling me demons are casting out demons? That I'm running around as a demon casting out demons? It makes no sense. Why would demons cast out demons? They're working together to possess people, to control them, to do the work they want to do. Listen to Jesus who says it in a much nicer way. Verse 26. Nevertheless, he is saying it. Excuse me, verse 25. But Jesus, know their thoughts said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and every city and house divided against itself will not stand. Demons cast out demons, they're fighting against themselves. If Satan cast out Satan, notice that Jesus now makes the connection to Beelzebub and Satan. They knew they were calling him the ruler of demons, which is Satan, not the, the Canaanite Assyrian, or excuse me, yeah, the Assyrian God Beelzebub. And so he says, if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself and his kingdom will not stand. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? He says, you've got exorcists here who by the power of Yahweh are casting out demons. And if I'm doing it by Beelzebub, who do they cast them out by? You believe them, but you won't believe me. When I've done all of these great works, it's two pretty good points. Therefore, they shall be your judges. These ones among you who have things right enough with the living God to prior to Jesus on the cross were able to cast demons out, they're going to be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, then surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is what you're denying. The kingdom of God has come upon you. They were uniquely in a position. These Pharisees were uniquely in a position to identify the Messiah. Pharisees knew the scriptures. They weren't like the Sadducees that denied the power of the scriptures. Pharisees knew the scriptures. They believed them. They were looking for the Messiah. They interpreted the scriptures literally. Like you and I interpret them. Whenever we can take the scriptures literally, we do. We know there's times when we can't and we don't, right? Because God's given us a mind. We can tell, oh, he's talking about a chair. It must be a chair. Oh, he's talking about the chair in the clouds. That must be something different than a literal chair. We, we can think those things through, and he knew that. But these guys are now in the midst of this. They don't know what to do. We're losing this argument. We're trying to tell people that this isn't the Messiah and you shouldn't be following him, and we're losing it. So what are we going to do? Well, he's, he's doing it by demons, have you ever gotten to an argument with someone about Christ and they don't know, they don't know any of the, the evidence that you know? They don't know manuscript evidence. They don't know archeological evidence. They don't know the accuracy of scripture in the Old Testament when it comes to geography, when it comes to historic events. And again, I, when it comes to archeology, span discovering you know, the city of Gath where it said that it was and even a cup that had the name Goliath written on it. I don't know that they found Goliath's cup, by the way. It'd be awesome if that's what they did, the actual Goliath David killed. But the fact that there is a city of Gath and that there was a piece of pottery with Goliath found on it, look it up. If only we had some way we could type stuff into something and device and find this information out on our own. (laughs) Look it up. It's amazing. But I'm talking with someone and I'm telling them about the reliability of the Bible and how amazing it is. And they're throwing back to me they're throwing back to me their arguments that are not even thought through. They want to act like I'm open-minded and I have great intellect to be able to tell you. And they're throwing back ad hoc arguments. They're just like, well, it was tampered with. You're, the Old Testament was tampered with. Yeah, those prophecies about Jesus were never in the Old Testament. Well, then how come they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls that had the book of Isaiah that was dated to 200 years before the time of Christ and all those things were in there? Well, well though they, so they knew it and... They wrote about Jesus fulfilling them. They're just off the top of their mind. They're coming up with these arguments. They can't come up with anything that makes any sense. I would respect them a lot more if they said, really, Psalms 22 is about a crucifixion a thousand years before crucifixion? Let me look that up. No, I don't want them to go and look at a YouTube video against Psalms 22. I've had that happen before. They come back and they start telling me what they found And I'm like, hey, I know what video you watched because I watched the same video because I want to know, I want to know the truth. And if I'm not believing the truth, I want to know it. And if somebody brings up an argument to me that I can't answer, I don't just throw back something off the top of my head. I want to go look it up. I will say, good point. That's a good point. I need to look that up. But I can't tell you, I mean, if I've argued with that will never say that. They will never say, really? The Old Testament is geographically accurate? It's accurate with archaeology? The book of Daniel brings up kings that people didn't even know were kings until like 100 years ago. They used to criticize Daniel as not being accurate because Belshazzar was brought up. They used to say Belshazzar wasn't a king until they found a discovery about 100 years ago that they found a clay tablet that mentioned Belshazzar. Daniel lived in a time, I mean, they should say, that's a good point, I need to look that up. But they don't want to. You know when you're winning an argument with these guys, by the way, because eventually they say something like, well, well, Christians are just stupid. Well, Christians don't believe in science. They'll say, you know when they call you names, you, you are winning the argument because they can't say anything else now. They're just at a loss. They won't do the research. They won't educate themselves to get on the same playing field you're on. You have the information. They don't have it. Now can you see that these guys right now are just insulting Jesus? Jesus is, it's, it's evident. He's the Messiah. It's so evident, they know it, that they're just like, you have a demon. You have Beelzebub. You're casting out That's all they're doing. This is not a genuine argument. They don't have anything to back this up. This is just an argument that's coming off the top of their head.
0: We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com.